All right, uh, head to Psalm 1 tonight, Psalm chapter 1, we'll begin with verse 1, a uh, little detour on a side thought, previous reading this week. And all of us, again, good number here tonight, glad you're here, glad you chose to be in the house of the Lord, uh, always uh, use a few more. We were talking about the different ones going to class and just uh, try to be an encourager to someone this week, and uh, encourage them to come to Sunday school with you, uh, bring them, go get them if you have to, and take them to Sunday school. All right, Psalm chapter 1, just going to uh, begin with verse 1, we'll just read it, we'll camp out there for just a second, I do have a couple of references we'll chase, it says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. I want to speak tonight for just this thought, and getting away from our series a little while, on that is the kind of Christian that God wants us to be. You could even say this, the kind of person that God wants us to be. Looking at us, I'm, and I'm praying that tonight, that everybody here tonight knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you know that when you die, you're going to heaven. You've got that assurance in your heart tonight because somewhere, sometime, you asked Him to be your Savior. You realize that you were a, a sinner and you needed a Savior. You cannot get to heaven without Him. That's why we need Jesus. And I just want to, uh, let's slide back to the book of First Chronicles chapter 4. First Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 9. First Chronicles, this was very famous here a while back. There was a writer by the name of Bruce Wilkinson. His book just went uh, went crazy. We're going to look at 1 Chronicles chapter 4. We'll start with verse 9. Read verse 9 and 10. This is right in the middle of a bunch of begats. And it says this, 1 Chronicles 4, 9, And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. Verse 10, And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand might be with me, and thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it might not grieve, or may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested it's okay to pray, God, would you bless me? And that is basically saying, God, I'm ready for more responsibility. Because, you know, with more stuff comes more responsibility. With more things comes more opportunity. And it says here, back in our text in Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. I want to be blessed of God. I want God to bless me. Now, there's some things that have to occur, and we're going to look at, there's three things listed here in this very first verse of Psalm 1. I want God to bless me. I want God to work in my life. Jabez, it says there, Jabez prayed 
Ask God to bless them. And you know, remember what's the answer to the prayer? And God granted him that which he requested. One of the things he prayed for was to enlarge my coast. Another thing, and this is a great prayer, Lord, keep me from evil. And uh, so bless me, keep me from evil, enlarge my coast. Several things that Jabez prayed, God gave him all of those. He said yes to his prayer. So in order for me, and some say, well, this means to be happy. Well, folks, if God's blessing you, you're going to be happy. (laughs) That's just kind of a given. If God's blessing you, you're going to be happy. Now, that happiness comes from within. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. You might even allude this to true joy. True joy is not based on what's happening to you. True joy based on who lives inside your heart. And that's who you belong to. So there's a couple of things here in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the, uh, with in the counsel of ungodly. I just put don't walk with ungodly people in my notes. And what that means is, is it doesn't mean that you don't have friends that are lost. It doesn't mean that you don't have a, a somebody you're trying to talk to about Jesus. That folks were supposed to talk to people that need Jesus. And tell them, but it, it says walk with them, and that means that you're, you're allowing them to influence you. Then it goes on to say, so I can't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor do I need to stand in the way of sinners. Well, many times, uh, we've seen this and, uh, um, to be a stumbling block for others. As a matter of fact, our text, our old um, thing that we'll get back to later, back in First Peter chapter 2. This is something I believe I mentioned briefly last week. In First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, the Bible says this, and, and a stone of stumbling, this is talking about Jesus, and a rock of offense... Even to them which stumble at thy word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, quickly, I'll do a quick little word study with you. The word peculiar does not mean weird or he's peculiar. He's weird or he's different. It doesn't mean that. Peculiar right there means the people belonging to someone are a, a one's chosen possession. That is neat. You know, that, that's how a word has changed in 400 years, uh, how the word peculiar is used here. So it says, and that's why it makes sense when you look at the rest of it. If I'm God's chosen possession, if I'm God's unique possession, then that makes sense. You're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, or God's special possession. That's pretty cool. One belonging to him. You belong to him. One, a very special um, chosen royal priesthood, holy nation, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, you know, a lot of times... In churches today, uh, we have people that want to come to church and they want to, uh, but a lot of times we don't like people that are different than us. 
We want people that look like us, that dress like us, that act like us. We, we, in other words, we may be a stumbling block to people coming. But I've preached this before. The only stumbling block that needs to be in any church is Jesus. If people are going to stumble, don't let them stumble over us. Folks, many people have stumbled over Jesus. And what that means is they hear the message and they don't like it. I, I don't, I can't not believe the Bible calls me a sinner. Well, it's telling us the truth. I cannot believe that Jesus, people have been offended by this. That Jesus, you mean to tell me there's only one way into heaven? That offends me. You know, but is it the truth? Yes, it's the truth. There is only one way into heaven. Is it through Jesus? Yes. But sometimes that truth offends people. That's why even he spoke of his own countrymen that he was a stumbling block to some. And so different people did stumble over Jesus. But you, of course, looking here, it talks about the people who chose Jesus. Now, so we don't need to be the stumbling block, but they may stumble over Jesus. Back to our text. Um, there we go. Psalms chapter 1. So I don't, need, I don't need to stand in the way of sinners. We can do that. You cannot be a blessed child of God by standing in the way of sinners and walking and living your life with ungodly people. Then it says, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The word scornful just simply means this, behaving rudely to cast scorn. And so I don't need to, it says to sit in the seat of the scornful, to put myself in a position that I'm going to be rude to other people. That means I will scorn them. And guess who, of course, was our ultimate example of that? And that's Jesus. He was definitely one scorned. He was called names. He was belittled. He was beat. He was all of those things. And he did it. And still, of course, was our ultimate example in how to, how to behave. Verse 2. So, number one, boy, that's loaded, isn't it? Well, I just, we, just, we could just stay there all night. But verse two says this. But his, so if I want to be a child of God, and I want to be a great child of God, I want to be a happy child of God, I want to be a successful child of God. His delight is in the law. The, I love that word delight. That word delight means his pleasure. His pleasure. I get great joy in reading the Bible. My pleasures in looking at God's word. I've got pleasure from how many of you, anybody in here love ice cream? Any ice cream lovers in here? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, folks, it is pleasurable to eat ice cream. Double hands, two hands. It's, it's great. I get great pleasure. I mean, I, because I can't tell it no. And so, I mean, it's almost addictive to me. You can ask my wife, and, and she tells me all the time, Michael, if I buy Bluebell, you don't have to eat the whole thing. But I tell her, yes, I do. You know, I don't get a little spoon. I get a big spoon because it gives me great pleasure. There's, I don't think there's anything better than either if you want plain Jane, then Red Girl Vanilla. But Millennium Crunch is one of my all-time favorites. That's awesome stuff. And it brings me great pleasure, folks. We should get pleasure out of looking at God's Word. Now, sure, we can get tired, 
But it says right here, it says right here, his delight, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord and his law doth he meditate day and night, which means this. You know what that means? Let's just put it the way we speak today. Make it an everyday part of your life. Make it an everyday part of your life. What have I been encouraging for the past several years? To read your Bible daily. I don't, you don't have to read your Bible through in a year. That'd be great. And I, y'all know I encourage it every January. I say, go back out there to that track rack and get you a read through the Bible in a year. Some of you got it on your phone now. But whether it's on paper or some people have it. As a matter of fact, it's an insert inside their Bible. Read through the Bible in a year. But I, what I'm saying is every day you should delight in it. Delight in the Bible. His law. Did, and folks, this is not a, this is not a Hardy Boys novel. <laughs> this is not a JCPenney catalog. This is not some novel that gets old. This is life-giving book. This is a prescription for you and me. And, uh, it says, so meditate in it. I was reading a, uh, article the other day that, um, uh, some churches, and I've seen a lot of ABA churches, that their ultimate end, their, in other words, what is the goal of our church? To see other people get saved and come to a saving knowledge of Christ. But you know what happens because we have great Sunday school literature and we have, you know, and we love to study. A lot of people go head over heels with verse 2. In other words, they go so far that away that they... Uh, did you know you can become a you can become a Bible scholar? All of you can. But it, folks, there's a dangerous thing about becoming a Bible scholar. Sometimes when you become a Bible scholar, you think you it may put you on like you think you're better than somebody because they don't know as much as the Bible as you are. And I've seen Bible scholars before become arrogant. And you know, it's almost like you know, we've got the truth. We've got our our uh, 75 people here. I'm comfortable with it. And it's almost like they smirk at people going to hell. Well, I'll tell you what. They just need to wake up and pay attention to our sign out there and come in. No, we need to go get them and invite them in. But a lot of times, sometimes with Bible knowledge can come arrogancy. And we certainly, Bible knowledge, matter of fact, Paul... And he wrote so many epistles of his that says that Bible knowledge brings us to the laws, the laws that we need a savior. The law teaches us that we're sinners. The law points us to Christ. But a lot of times they became arrogant in what they knew about the Bible and so on and so forth. We don't need to be glad people are going to hell. We need to be singing the song, Rescue the Perishing. What does the rest say? Duty demands it. Duty demands it. All right. The next thing I want us to look at is, of course, verse 3. Now, by the way, Psalms 1 naturally divides itself into two parts. The first three verses and the last three verses. It says in verse 3, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Be like a tree. You know, 
if I'm supposed to be like a tree, what does that tell me and tell you? Number one, a tree is alive. If any of you have been out in the woods out here and you see a dead tree, guess what's going to happen to it? (laughs) It's going to fall down. It's not going to be there for long. We're supposed to not only be a tree, but a tree is alive. And a living tree also does what? Brings forth fruit. Whether it's banana tree, an acorn tree, an oak tree, uh, whatever tree, a tree's alive and it produces fruit. And one great thing, notice here. Now we're going to get to a contrast here. And that trees, it says, uh, in his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, which tells me that this is ongoing fruit producing. So one thing that I've noticed, and I, I just am amazed, we have some tall, skinny pine trees out behind the church back here. And um, I'm sure Trey and Laura, as long as they've uh, been living where they're living now, have looked out there. They've got like four or five, six back windows back there. And, and in a storm, how many of you ever seen a tree just swaying in the storm? I mean, looking like it's, it looks like it's going to bend to the point of breaking. It's amazing how trees can, yeah, sure, some trees, because they don't have deep roots or because of erosion or because of unstable soil, fall over. But most of the time, it is unreal how a tree can stay standing in a storm. That's the neat contrast. So guess what? God wants us to be like a tree. So a tree, we need a what? We need to be living. We need to be producing fruit. And if a storm hits our life, we'll be ready because trees bend, but they don't break. Most of the time. That's what he's saying here. Because look at the contrast of verse 4. Ah, if I'm not a solid Christian, verse 4 happens to you. What does verse 4 say? If I'm not a solid Christian, matter of fact, maybe I say I'm saved, but I'm really not. Maybe I'm a church member and I've been a church member here at Promised Land, but I'm not saved. When storms happen, verse 4 happens. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. What does that tell me? When a storm hits a person that's lost, what does the Bible say? They're driven by the wind. We don't have a solid foundation. Our foundation is in Jesus. Now, he was using a tree, and you can't take a physical metaphor and make a perfect spiritual illustration, but there are a lot of similarities. And that's what we were discussing a while ago. So yes, when a storm hits our lives, we need to realize that ungodly, that just means people that are lost, that we can change, we can storms can tear up our lives. Let's look at verse 5. So continuing on, this is the way I need to be a saved person. I need to be a godly person. How God wants me to behave. But verse 4, 5, and 6 are, is the contrast. In other words, how I shouldn't be. Therefore the ungodly, I'm in verse 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And really, as I was Reading this earlier this week, my heart broke. Because did you know that I, I really, you know, and if you read the story, 
in Revelation chapter 20 of the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment of the lost, I think there's a good possibility that we as Christians may see the lost being judged. Because right after that, it says, right after that, it says, then every tear shall be wiped away. There should be no more death, no more pain, no more crying. For the former things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's in chapter 21, right after the great white throne. But whether or not that's, that occurs or not, I guarantee you, I guarantee you that the judgment seat of or the great white throne judgment, the judgment of the lost, you can say it ever how you want to, will not be a pleasant thing. It will not be a pleasant thing. Go ahead and go to... Now, matter of fact, if you look at verse 5, Jesus had some scripture on verse, on verse 5. It's found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17. The Word of God states this. And so every good tree, look who's using the analogy of a tree again, <laughs> Jesus. Matthew seven seventeen says, so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that is not uh, that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in lake of, into the fire, which means judge. Fire in the Bible represents judgment. Wherefore, verse 20, Jesus said this, By their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, and we have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, in thy name done many one for works. Man, do you know how long that I did this for the church? Do you know how many Sunday school lessons I've taught? Do you know how much I've given to the church? Do you know what I've done for all these people? Do you know how nice of a guy I am? I am a nice guy. Well, Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I didn't know you. But if you're saved, verse 24 kicks in, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, it just means that's the fruit. That's the fruit. If you're saved, you produce fruit. And Jesus said it this way, if you want more details, he said that some people produce 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. That's what he said. So what does that tell me and you? Some produce more fruit than others. Some are more faithful than others. But there's still a tree. All right? And then, of course, he goes on and tells a story about the, the wise man and the foolish man who built their house on the sand and the rock, which is just a great thing, great scene to show this. All right, lastly in closing, lastly in closing, this is kind of neat. I'm back in Psalm 1, verse 6. Psalm 1, verse, 1, verse 6 says this, For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. 
Here's what you need to look at and maybe even mark in your Bible. The way means this. If you looked it up, if you looked up the way, for the Lord knoweth the way, what does that mean, the way? It means road or way, your distance, your journey, or your manner. I mean, repeat that. I didn't put it on the screen, obviously. It mean, the way means road, way, distance, journey, manner. You know what this tells me? God knows where you're headed. That's pretty simple. And God also knows what you're going to face. God also knows where you come from. And God knows what tomorrow holds. He knows your way. He knows that he knows your manner. He knows your distance. He know I love the I love the synonym the journey. He knows your journey. I like that one. He knows your journey. If he knows your journey, but guess what also he knows? But the way of the ungodly, the way, the distance, the journey, the manner, same word, shall perish. What way are you on tonight? Am I being a support to others? Or am I being a stumbling block to others? The Bible says here, may we not stand in the way of sinners to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. What kind of person does God want me to be? What way am I on? What way am I heading? As we prepare for a hymn invitation, would you bow with me for a word of prayer, please? Father, I just want to bow before you, thanking you for this precious, precious song that speaks to our heart tonight. May your Holy Spirit be heard above everything else. May we listen to what you have to say to our heart. Dear God, please convict us, lead us, and guide us. Help us to put you first in everything we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.